A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. This is the Daily Tech News Show Special Edition in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. We talk about artificial intelligence a lot these days, and I see several reactions in our audience. Uh, some people think it's all hype. Some people think it's just a fancy word for algorithm, and some people just want to understand what it is. Here to help us with that is Karen Howe, artificial intelligence reporter at MIT Technology Review. Karen, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, before we get into explaining things, you're not just a reporter. You also are an engineer. Can you tell me a little bit about your background before you got into reporting on AI? Yeah, I did have a bit of a roundabout journey into journalism. So I actually was an undergraduate at MIT and I studied mechanical engineering, uh, slightly different from artificial intelligence, mm. and then went on to work in the tech world um, in software as an application engineer at a startup that spun out of Google X. And that was my first foray from mechanical engineering into software engineering. Um, and during my time there, I really started to understand how software is shaping our world. And that got me really excited about um, the idea of reporting on that phenomenon from a journalistic perspective rather than as an engineer. Um, and so I eventually made my way to Quartz, where I was a reporter and uh, a data scientist for the product team. So um, I started taking more classes in machine learning, um, understanding the actual practice of artificial intelligence, and um, eventually fell into this role that I'm at now as a reporter at MIT Technology Review. Well, thank you uh, for, for descending back down into the journalistic world to help us understand this. I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, let's start with AI and, and the hype around it. And there is a lot of hype around AI. Uh, how, how, how do you tell what's hype and what's real? And, and, and I think there's some people in our audience who just don't believe that any of it is real. Yeah, well, AI is a really confusing subject because there, there are really two definitions that, um, are happening. There's the dream and there's the reality. Mm. And the dream in the field is what we now call artificial general intelligence. And that is the idea that we will eventually build software um, embedded within robots that will be so human-like and so capable um, that they will basically function as additional members in society and help us solve problems that we are not necessarily capable of solving with our own um, less brilliant human. <laughs> Um, so, so that's that's a dream, and and there's a lot of debate as to whether or not that dream is even possible. Um, but the reality right now is 
most of what you hear in the news about artificial intelligence is actually a very small subset of the field called machine learning. And this is based off of uh, computational statistics. And it's really about taking a massive amount of data uh, using statistics and complex math equations to find the patterns in that data and then reapply that data um, to make decisions. So uh, the way that you typically encounter that is in your Facebook news feed, the way that the content is ranked or in a Google search feed, the way that that content is ranked is based off of machine learning algorithms. Um, when you click on a video in Netflix, you are telling a machine learning algorithm um, here is some data on what I like, and then that machine learning algorithm is finding the patterns within what you like and recommending you more things based on that pattern. Um, and so the reality that that the machine learning that we see today, um, I mean, it, it is definitely powerful. It is, uh, I do think it is uh, fair to call it artificial intelligence in that you are, uh, pattern matching is part of human intelligence, and we are getting very, very good at pattern matching uh, with a machine. Um, but it is nowhere near what the dream is for the field. Um, and the hype, I think, often conflates the two, and people start to assume that just because a machine is really good at pattern matching, they suddenly have other abilities that humans have as well. Yeah, um, that's just simply not true. Well, and that, and that's yeah, it's it's funny sometimes to see even the same person at once saying uh, AI can't can't do what you say it can do. Also, I'm deathly afraid that AI is going to take over, and it, it's sort of like, well, it it may it can't do both at the same time. It can't be horrible and also take over at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I think I think that the the general fear that um, artificial intelligence can be damaging is very valid. I, I think mm -hmm. that there, even with very basic pattern matching abilities, um, it has already proven to be problematic in certain ways. Um, like with algorithmic bias, um, the problem when you when you put a lot of historical data into these uh, pattern matching machines is that they automate the patterns within historical data. And, and that's, we don't always want to actually repeat history. Um, and so uh, you can still have the fear of, of AI um, negative reverberations mm -hmm. that come from very, very basic forms of AI. Um, but it's certainly not the, uh, general narrative that you hear in Hollywood or in in um, other places about like robots coming to kill us or <laughs> or whatever what have you. Yeah, it doesn't have to turn us into gray goo to be damaging. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think the other reaction I see a lot from people, and 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 this this ties directly to what you've been telling us, is how is machine learning or AI. Uh, different than the algorithms that I've already seen. I've seen algorithms on Yahoo going way back into the 90s that said, oh, mm -hmm. we saw you clicked on these stories. Here are more stories like that. Uh, how do you explain the difference between that pattern matching, that huge amount of data that machine learning processes, and what we've seen before, which was, I guess, a more rudimentary form of that? Right, yeah. So, I mean, fundamentally, an algorithm is a recipe. Um, so when, when you're when you're cooking something and following the instructions in a recipe book, that that is also an algorithm. It's it's just a series of steps that help you achieve something. Um, and so back back before we had what we now understand as artificial intelligence, and we just had uh, more basic computer algorithms, those were all rule based. Um, you the instructions were written very clearly, step by step, like 
execute this and now execute that. Um, and the humans were the ones that were telling the machine exactly what to do. Um, what's changed with what we see now in machine learning is um, at some point, computer scientists realized that um, it's simply too complicated to explain to computers every single rule about human knowledge, about um, about the universe that, that we want computers to understand in order to perform some more complicated tasks. So um, the approach shifted to machines writing their own algorithms. It was uh, essentially we give them a ton of data and, we're, and we say, hey, why don't you take a stab at figuring out making sense of this data, figuring out what the patterns are, figuring out um, what you might be able to do with it. Um, and that is, that's the real shift. So before humans were authoring the exact um, execution steps that the computers were taking, and now we're asking computers to do it themselves. Yeah, I, I think uh, that helps me understand it better myself, because Netflix recommending horror films because it saw that I watched a horror film could just be a non-adaptable algorithm that someone wrote that said, if you see something tagged horror played, recommend other things tagged horror. Whereas a machine learning aspect wouldn't look at horror necessarily. It would, it would create its own classifications and create connections that are either stronger or lesser based on its observations. Is that anthropomorphizing it too much? Yeah, a little, a little bit, but yeah. But yeah. I think that's a great um, analogy. Yeah. So, so in old school algorithm, uh, in an old school algorithmic approach, a Netflix algorithm would the human would say, "Oh, I think genre is the most important thing." So I'm going to hard code into this algorithm to recommend other things based on the genres that people watch. So if someone watches horror, you just feed it horror. If someone watches comedy, you just feed them comedy or whatever. In a machine learning world, you don't tell the computer anymore that you think the genre is the most important factor for giving a good recommendation. You just give it lots and lots of different things like take a look at the genre, take a look at the engagement, take a look at the um, the actors and actresses involved at the um, the length of the movie. Take a look at all of those things and then you figure out whether genre is the most important or something else is the most important and then, and then take that knowledge to make the best recommendations for this user. Let's, let's talk a little bit about how it does that, uh, what machine learning is, because there, there are lots of different flavors of it. Uh, I think the easiest for people generally to understand would be reinforced learning, where you, you essentially reward the algorithm for getting it right, but that's not the only type. Yeah, so machine learning has three subtypes. Um, it's supervised, unsupervised, and reinforcement learning. Um, in supervised learning, that, that's the most common. Um, it's when you tell the algorithm exactly what you want it to uh, look for within the data. So um, if you feed it a bunch of dog images, mm -hmm. you tell it these are dog images um, because otherwise it just sees pixels and it doesn't actually it's a machine again, like going back to machines, not being that intelligent, they can actually look at a dog image and suddenly be like, aha, this is a dog. Um, so you have to say, this is a dog image. This is another dog image. This is another dog image. Um, and then it will eventually develop, uh, um, an understanding of the patterns that are associated with 
dog images, and then it might be able to produce new dog images. Um, in, in unsupervised learning, you feed it dog images, but you might not necessarily tell it that it's a dog. You just say like, hey, look at all these images. Can you figure out how they're similar to one another and start grouping them? So, so if you fed it a bunch of different animal images and then it started grouping them based on how it saw the pixels organized in each of those, it might eventually be able to separate out the dog image pile and the cat image pile, but it would have no concept of what they actually were. Um, the last bucket is reinforcement learning, and that is the most, uh, it has seen the most progress in recent years. Um, this is the technique that uh, DeepMind Alphabet's artificial intelligence arm used to beat the world's best uh, human Go player um, with their program AlphaGo. Um, and it is exactly what you said. It, it uses rewards and punishments. So you... Um, allow the, the, the machine to collect data by um, letting it, in, in a Go game, for example, playing a series of games, and every time it successfully beats someone, you give it reward and say, yes, that was, that was the right thing to do. And when it fails to do the right things, you either don't give it a reward or give it a punishment. Um, and over time, it starts to learn from that, how to maximize its rewards towards the general objective that you want it to do. And, and I know a lot of people are imagining like, you know, shock collars and, and treats uh, for the computer, but the, the rewards and punishments are, are merely just data flags, essentially, right? Yeah, it's sort of just giving them. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high volume, high speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. Uh, right. You add a couple. It's almost like a point system and. Mm-hmm. In- video game, you add some points when they do something right. You don't add points or you subtract points when they do something wrong. And you tell the 
um, the machine, you want to end with as many points as possible. Yeah. And, and you are not risking them turning on you and making you gray goo because you shocked them every time they lost a go. So it seems like a much safer way to do it. Uh, so that leads me to generative uh, adversarial networks, GANs, um, where you are using machine learning. You're using two different algorithms, I guess, to play off of each other. Can you explain how that works and how that fits into these three types of machine learning we, we just heard about? Yeah, so um, the basic concept of GANs is that you have two neural networks that are competing against each other. And the neural network here is basically the machinery that is performing the machine learning. Um, And in GANs, with these two neural networks, one neural network is what's called a generative neural network. And the other one is called a discriminatory neural network. Um, and you, let's go back to the example of dog photos. When you, uh, take the generative neural network, its job is to take all of these dog photos that you have labeled as dogs and, uh, to start doing its best impression of a dog photo. So it learns all the patterns, all of the ways that pixels usually align to form a dog. And then it starts churning out similar patterns, hoping that it might be a dog. And then the job of the discriminator is to then take that image that the generator produced um, and using the same exact data set of original dog photos, judge whether or not that new image is in fact a dog. So it goes and looks at all of the patterns within the dog images that you fed it. And then looks at the other one and sees if it's actually a good rendition of the same patterns. And so the effect is that um, the generator is sort of haphazardly guessing what might look like a dog and the discriminator will come back and say, yes, this is a dog. No, this isn't a dog. Every time it says, no, this isn't a dog. I'm not convinced. The discriminator or the generator has to go back to the drawing board and try again. And eventually it converges on a dog photo that the discriminator can no longer tell the difference between uh, between that photo and the original dog photos. And it, it essentially produces like a hyper-realistic photo of a dog. Um, so if you've seen some of the images in the news about fake faces... Mm-hmm. Um, this person does not exist.com. We've talked about yeah, that. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So that is all made by GANs. And it's, it's just this simple back and forth, almost like, um, like one of my colleagues use a metaphor like it's an art forger and an art detective both trying to outwit each other with the art forger trying harder and harder to make as close of a rendition as possible to what it was told was a dog and the art forger basically trying to call its bs until it can no longer do so it sounds like you have to train the discriminator first but is that correct or is the discriminator also improving as this process goes yeah, it's it, it's essentially a two-step process where you first train the neural networks separately mm-hmm. and you pit them against each other. So it's it's not the neural networks aren't uh, training on the data set as they're trying to compete with each right. other. Okay, okay, that makes sense then. So you so you're training them up and then you pit them against each other in the ring, it's, so to speak. 
to create our fake cats and dogs and people. Uh, Now, you mentioned neural networks, uh, and I'm sure people have have a question of of what that is and how it might differ from other types of AI that we're talking about. Yeah, so um, neural networks are very loosely designed off of the human brain. So um, in neural networks, you have quote unquote neurons um, that are these, these very basic sensors that are then um, that are then networked together to understand more complex data um, just as a neuron in your brain is networked with other neurons to perceive the world and understand the world. Um, that's, it's a pretty loose analogy, but, but when the computer scientists who developed the concept of a neural network did in fact look at the brain, um, and work with neuroscientists to see if they could try to mimic that within software. Um, and what it's actually doing is, uh, a series of math equations. It's, if you have an image, um, with, 64 pixels or whatever what what's actually being put into a neural network is the intensity of every single pixel so if you have a an image with 64 pixels you start your neural network with 64 quote-unquote neurons mm-hmm. um each are given a number value for what the intensity of the pixels are and then with every layer of this neural network your neurons are firing to the next layer um by computing math equations and sending the the numbers propagating back all the way through the layers until you eventually get to your last layer and it says oh this is a dog so it's not it's not a yes or no on each pixel it's a it's sort of a, a measure of strength on each one i guess yeah exactly exactly that's a really good way of putting it it's it's just it's just a piece of software that is um really good at manipulating numbers essentially and doing um math operations multiplication and addition yeah so th- so so that's it's different than again than a, a regular algorithm which might have a is is it horror or is it not yes or no uh it's yeah. way more sophisticated than that because it's again not trying to measure horror or not trying to measure dogness uh it's it's trying to learn pixel by pixel whether that belongs in a picture of a dog or not that's fascinating yeah exactly and this this is what frustrates me the most before we wrap up is there, there are, there is real AI, uh, and I try to call it machine learning more often than AI because that is particularly the type that we're generally talking about that works. Mm-hmm. But then there are also people who throw out AI when it's not AI. Uh, they they say they've got AI in something, and maybe they tangentially do, maybe they don't. Uh, how, do you have any advice? And maybe you don't, because I, I don't have any good advice. How people on their own out there can tell if a product really does have some kind of machine learning in it when they say, Oh yes, it has, it uses AI. That's a great question. I, I think the advice that I have is, is for, is less for the typical consumer and more for other reporters covering the space mm-hmm. is to always ask when a company says we're an AI company, ask them at what point they use it what what is the machine like 
what is the machine learning? Why why do they even need it? Mm-hmm. The other thing is some some companies do in fact use machine learning, but it's um, not even necessary. So really digging into the technical details of where it is within the stream of the data analysis process. Um, for the for the average consumer or the average news reader who's trying to figure out whether companies really use AI, I think go if you are curious, go poking on their website to see if the company does describe the data pipeline that they're using. What where what data are they collecting, and then how are they processing it? Um, and just ask whether it's even necessary to use machine learning to do what they're doing. Um, if right. they if they are not really collecting a lot of data, the likelihood that they're using machine learning drops dramatically because most machine learning needs an incredible amount of data to actually do anything useful. And um, also you can probably get away with just using rule-based algorithms. Um, you're working with small piles of data um, so I guess that's that's the advice I have is, is just scrutinize whether or not a company even needs to be using machine learning at all. And if they don't need to be, then they probably aren't using it. That's really good advice. Like the amount of data collected needs to be big. Sometimes I see like, I don't know, refrigerator or something. And I'm like, it's not, you don't have a lot of data to decide whether an expiration date is there or not. You're scanning it on the way in. You don't really need AI for that. That's that's pretty, it's pretty programmatic. Uh, and, and so the, the amount of data they would need to use, whether it actually needs to replace an algorithm. And looking for that question, if you're reading a, a reporter's uh, write-up, did they ask the question of where in the process it comes in and are they answering those questions? I think that's excellent advice. Thank you for that. Yeah. And thank you for talking with us today, Kara. This has been incredibly helpful in understanding all of this. I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you, Tom. If you uh, want people to find your work, uh, where should they go? Um, they can follow me on Twitter. I am very active there. Um, my handle is underscore Karen how H A O. They can also find me at MIT technology review. Um, and I also write a biweekly AI newsletter for the technology review called the algorithm. And if you Google MIT technology review, the algorithm, there will be a sign up page and I would love for you to sign up. It's completely free. And you're, uh, you're up for a webby for that, right? I am. So if you would also like to vote <laughs> vote for the newsletter, we're currently up against CNN. So we um, CNN just has far more readers so that they're they're having fun tossing their weight around right now. <laughs> yeah. But chip into the effort to help the underdog. Excellent. It's called the the newsletter is called The Algorithm. Uh, so check that out as well. Thanks again, Karen. Thank you so much. Our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. Uh, we do the show live Monday through Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. And if you want more tech insights, become a member of DTNS right now at patreon.com slash DTNS. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. 
By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.